Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good news, true crime addicts. We've survived yet another week. It is Friday, January 21st, 2022. And these are the top true crime headlines from around the world, from yours truly. Hey, before we get started with the top stories, I want to talk to you real quick about something. Um, there's a convention for the sort of stuff we're into, the true crime addicts of the world. Uh, it's called CrimeCon. Uh, maybe you've heard of it, maybe not. Check it out, crimecon.com. I've been going since the very first year when it was in Indianapolis. We've been all over the place. But this year, Vegas, baby. Vegas. And I've never been to Vegas. I might uh, I might play a little blackjack in between sessions. But um, it's in uh, the, the end of April. April 29th is when it kicks off. Uh, if you can make it to Vegas and you want to meet all your favorite podcasters... You know, I know the True Crime Garage guys are usually there, the Generation Ys, what have you. I'll be there. You can come meet me. If you're going to go, though, use my code. Here's that pitch, right? Uh, I have a code. It's Renner, R-E-N-N-E-R. Don't worry if you spell it backwards. It's still Renner, R-E-N-N-E-R. Uh, put that in, you get a 10% discount on tickets, which is pretty sweet. So CrimeCon.com, come see me in Vegas. We'll hang out. Not really, though, because I'm a bit of an introvert. These are your top stories. Uh, this is a crazy story. Crazy story. This is one of this is my favorite stuff. Uh, this is why I do it. This is amazing. I could write a book about this case. I'm probably not going to, but this is, there's a lot here. This is uh, uh, so. Here's how it began. In December, just last month, this guy checks himself into Queen Elizabeth University Hospital in Glasgow, Scotland. Scotland. Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, under the name Arthur Knight. This guy was very close to dying of COVID. He had to be put he had to be intubated. Which is a term I learned to pronounce by watching Grey's Anatomy. 
very close to death. And I think it was perhaps his ludicrous name that made the people at the hospital in, in Scotland kind of question his identity. Arthur Knight, right? Like, get it? Knights of the Round Table, King Arthur. Nobody's really named Arthur Knight. So, uh, anyways, they checked it out. Turns out their suspicions were true. He's not really Arthur Knight. He's a 34-year-old American named Nicholas Aliverdian, also known as Nick Rossi. And uh, this this is like, have you seen that movie? Um, the, uh, oh, what's it called? Talented Mr. Ripley with Matt Damon. Very good movie. Um, this is kind of like what this guy was up to. So why is he hiding? All, all the story came out. Um, and, and some of this is, is through the Daily Mail, which you know you'd wrap a fish in it, right? But um, they have actually some pretty good sources on this. So, but it's been picked up by many other sources. So here, here's what happened. Uh, Nicholas Aliverdian was supposed to be dead. His obituary ran in a newspaper in Rhode Island in 2020, said he died of cancer, was buried at sea by his third wife. There's no third wife. Spoiler alert. It was him that wrote this obituary. Uh, and, and, and he had died of cancer was the story. Obituary and everything. Right before that obituary ran, he found out that he was being investigated for 200, uh, I'm sorry, 2008 sexual assault in Provo, Utah, and was suspected of crimes in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Ohio. Uh, he, this Aliverdian, was big into politics in Rhode Island for a while. He was kind of a name out there in Providence, right? Can't take the mob out of Providence, like, I, or whatever the quote goes. Uh, there was this uh, former Rhode Island state representative, Brian Coogan, who was going to adopt Aliverdian back in 2000 when Nick was still 14. Uh, he was part of the foster child uh, uh, system in Rhode Island, part of the foster system. And at age 14, he was already getting involved in politics, talking about how bad the foster system was. Uh, his... Uh, you know, newspapers wrote stories about him. It became such a big thing that they did change some of the state laws. Eventually, uh, Coogan, or not Coogan, sorry, Aliverdian himself was awarded $70,000 for trauma and other, you know, things that went wrong in the in the foster system in Rhode Island and, and elsewhere. So he he got this, this, this money, he started blowing it uh, on lavish dinners at expensive restaurants in Providence. Um, now, remember, I said Brian Coogan was going to adopt him when he was 14. So what happened with that? Well, uh, Coogan started the process through the courts and was listening in on a conversation where Aliverdian was talking to a social worker. And then he hears this 14-year-old, this teenage kid, start to threaten the social worker, saying he would make up these charges of abuse that never happened in order to get him in trouble. And he's like, whoa, dude, this kid has some serious problems. I don't want to take this on. So it fell apart. I still kept in touch with Aliverdian, though. Um, and, you know, he, this is, you know, go and check him out on, online. He, he kind of has this, like, you know, pudgy face. He's, he's handsome, but he can't quite pull it off. Um, he reminds me of a lot of uh, people I've met who can't really make it out of the house. 
He's very, very pale complected. Uh, you know, just stays in their basement all day, complains about how they can't get a job, yada, yada, yada. He's a very familiar type, but much, much more intelligent. This, um, he would, he would do incredible things like, uh, there's a teenage family member that came up to him at some point in time and, and paid him $200 to help him with a homework assignment, uh, which he did. But then <laughs> Aloverdian shakes down the rest of his family saying that, you know, he accepted the payment and he's going to go tell the school principal that, uh, this kid plagiarized the assignment or paid somebody to do it if they don't give him more money or accommodations. Uh, he's also accused of violent crimes like raping an ex-girlfriend in 2008. Uh, under the name of Nicholas Rossi, uh, he's alleged to have, uh, actually he was convicted of a sexual assault with a student at Sinclair Community College in Dayton, Ohio. It's on the other side of the state. Um, so he he was already in trouble with the law for that. He was registered sex offender. Uh, he's also alleged to steal $200,000 from credit cards that he uh, put under the name of his uh, foster mother here in Ohio. Now, they, they finally caught up with him because Utah started testing these old rape kits, and uh, that connected him to this crime in Ohio, and they, they knew they were on the right right uh, path. And that's when, of course, Aloverdian faked his death, and he ends up on a ventilator in Scotland. It's crazy. Extradition is, is beginning right now, but this is... Uh, this this is the makings of a good Netflix documentary for sure. Another top story this week uh, involves the Havana syndrome, Havana, um, Havana, Cuba. Remember this? Um, there's this conspiracy theory that started a few years ago, back in 2017, about how Russia might be targeting diplomats, spies from the U.S. and Canada. Because these people were sitting in like embassies and hotels, and they started getting sick for no apparent reason. Uh, Twenty-one events in in Cuba alone, uh, beginning back in 2017. The they sounded kind of the same. People would uh, report just this pressure in the air and in their ears. It felt like that womp 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 sound that you get when you're riding in your car and you roll down a window like halfway and it creates this like weird pressure. That's what they were saying they were feeling. They felt nausea, confusion. We started to wonder if Russia developed sonic weapons that could go through walls to torture our spies and, and diplomats. The investigations were difficult from the start because the CIA didn't really want to tell us uh, or, or the other people investigating who it was that was getting sick. You know, the, we're, we're dealing with, like, James Bond-type people. Uh, in 2018, it was reported that MRI scans showed brain damage in Canadian diplomats that had experienced the Havana syndrome. Uh, there was another report, though, published that same year, that said that neurologists could see no brain damage. So what the heck was going on? Uh, some of these diplomats never returned to work tried to go out on disability. I think some of them were successful. People studying the effects wondered if it could be something as simple as insects, crickets, uh, making weird sounds or electro waves like microwaves. 
further reports were reported at um, or further attacks, that is, alleged attacks were reported at embassies in China and Serbia, Germany, all around the globe. This became a thing. In September, uh, September 30th, actually, 2021, just a couple months ago, there's this article in The Conversation, which I've linked on the podcast by Robert Bailo, professor of neurology at the University of California, L.A. Uh, he said that he thought it might be a mass psychogenic illness, mass hysteria. He said he sees some of the same symptoms at his dizziness clinic in L.A. I love the sound of that, the dizziness clinic. Feeling a little dizzy? Dr. Bailo's here for you. I, I just want to visit, see what that's all about. Uh, sometimes... He said, actually, the symptoms are real. They're really feeling these things that they say they are. But these symptoms are arising from stress, not secret radio wave weapons. He said, people feel sick because they believe they've been exposed to something dangerous. They've been told you might have been exposed to something dangerous. So they start feeling sick, thinking that, of course, that must be true. He talks about other cases of mass hysteria like this. Uh, including early telephone operators used to have to dial into a switchboard and they'd transfer you. And so these these people, mostly women, would be listening in uh, all day. And, ha and it was such an early technology, the telephone, that they wondered that it was frying their brain. So there were reports of phone operators falling sick for no apparent reason. He mentions the dancing plagues of the Middle Ages when people thought... And it was reported that there was this virus that was causing people to suddenly spontaneously dance. It's like the, the world turned into a musical, which would be super cool to see. And then there was this October report from Psychology Today that said basically the same thing. Hey, I, this looks like mass hysteria. Finally this week, the CIA, according to CNN, released their own findings and in fact, they do believe that this seems to be some sort of uh, mass hallucination brought on by the reporting. It's it's like this echo chamber where a couple people in, in Havana got sick for some reason, then thought it was this magic weapon from the Russians. It got reported that maybe that's what's going on. Suddenly, all these other diplomats thought they were under attack, uh, what's referred to as... The, uh, the nocebo effect, the opposite of the placebo effect. And it reminds me of what Wayne said in Wayne's World, right? I thought I had mono once. Turns out I was just really bored. Was that, was that Wayne or was that Stephen Wright? I think it was Wayne. Finally this week, got a little bit of bad news I'm leaving you with related to the Ghislaine Maxwell situation. I hate to say this, guys, but I think... Ghislaine is going to go free. Here's what's going on. She, her lawyer has just filed for a new trial. There is a juror from Ghislaine's trial who spoke to the media and said he was a victim of, of child abuse, this is according to CNN. Now, the problem with that is that that's definitely something that should have been caught in the voir dire process. It's where they interviewed prospective jurors ahead of the trial, and the defense and the prosecution is allowed to, like, cut down certain jurors, say, no, you've got a clear bias. You, you can't do this. Now, 
it's always usually wondered. Sometimes it's hard to prove if their prior experience has created a bias. With this one, it's pretty clear cut, unfortunately. Here's what the juror said when he spoke to a reporter with Reuters. Quote, when I shared that, meaning his sexual abuse, his child abuse, sorry, his child abuse, when I shared that, they were able to sort of come around on, they were able to come around on the memory aspect of the sexual abuse. So this suggests that his story impacted the other jurors. That's a big deal. Ghislaine's lawyer is also asking for all these records related to this new filing to be sealed. Again, not a good sign. Uh, and this is exactly what happened in the uh, genetic genealogy case that fell apart earlier, uh, or late uh, 2021. Remember, this involved William Tabbitt II, the first man ever convicted of murder based on genetic genealogy. Uh, he won an appeal. A female juror in his trial cited past trauma, worried that she couldn't be impartial. And it got him a new trial. Just And, and Ghislaine has it better than better than he did. So I'm calling it right now. Ghislaine's going to walk. She might get a new trial, probably will get a new trial, but she's going to go free for a bit. All right. Uh, those are the top stories. We'll be right back. I'll return in two and two with updates in cold cases and genetic genealogy. And welcome back to Quantum Leap, starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell. Uh, actually, here are your cold case updates. This crazy case out of Fairfax, Virginia. Police there believe they have a serial killer on their hands. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to give you the good news first. He's already in prison. Charles Helam has been serving a life sentence in prison and has now confessed to two additional murders. Helam was charged in 2002 with the strangulation death of Patricia Bentley, a bus driver for local schools in Loudoun, Virginia. Helam had been staying at her townhouse, but had moved out, was seeing somebody else, but he would come back and use like her treadmills and stuff and talk his way into the house, take a shower, stuff like that. Uh, when she wound up dead, strangled, um, police found DNA on her body <clears throat> that matched Helam. This is according to WTOP. Fairfax believed this week that, uh, or actually, they revealed this week, sorry, uh, that Helam has also confessed to killing 19-year-old Jennifer Landry in 2002, a young woman who was picked up in D.C., killed in Mount Rainier. He wrote letters to police in 2010 and 2017 suggesting he was responsible for the murder, but during an interview just... Uh, a couple weeks ago, he indeed did confess, and they've charged him or are in the process of charging him. He's also confessed to murdering 37-year-old Iggy Sober Adler in Herndon, Herndon, Virginia. This is a 1987 case. Now, this one's this one's a bit odd. Iggy Sober Adler was 37 year old, years old at the time of her murder. Helam would have been 16. Sober Adler was found behind a Days Inn on Centerville Road. This is... Um, now, these these two murders that he's confessed to, Jennifer Landry, Iggy Sober Adler, 
As far as I know, there's no definitive evidence linking him to these murders except for the confessions. Uh, they're working on that. Hopefully they are. With Patricia Bentley, they had DNA, but they, they had DNA on her body, and it, it could still be a consensual thing. What I'm saying is I think this is all a little hinky. I don't like it. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the Sam Little case. Remember Sam Little? It's a few years ago. This older African-American man who confessed to like 99 murders over the course of like 40 or 50 years. And he's become the police boogeyman. Any any cold case, the first thing they do is, where was Sam Little at that time? Could he have done it? And then like they go and he's, he draws pictures of a woman, literally like stick figure, almost drawings. And they're like, ah, yes, that looks like her. And then they tack that onto his, his sentence too. I think Sam Little might have killed two or three people. Maybe, maybe like one Maybe a handful, but not anywhere near 99. He is making it up. Uh, that's my opinion. I, I've seen it happen before. Um, a lot of times, these people that end up in prison, this reminds me of Donnie Soki in a lot of ways, if you've heard that story. Um, they're sitting there for life. They've got nothing better to do. Prison's a tough place. If you can trade a favor with the police for a little better accommodations, a TV in your room... Um, better snacks, literally, snacks, uh, they will confess to these murders. I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but it, it definitely has the hallmark. So I hope they go through the extra efforts and, and try to get some sort of DNA match on these things. I don't like the fact that he would have been 16 when uh, Sober Adler was murdered. So take a look at that. It's a weird one. Uh, and Frank is in the news. Never expected to say that. A new book was published this Tuesday, The Betrayal of Anne Frank, which names the alleged betrayer of Anne Frank and her family. But many are disagreeing. Um, little history lesson. Anne Frank was a young woman when the Nazis occupied the Netherlands in World War II. As a Jew, she went into hiding with her family in July 1942, they concealed themselves in a room behind a couple rooms behind a bookcase in the building where her father worked. To pass the time, Anne kept a diary until her arrest two years later in August 1944. Two years. For two years, she's in that little closet, cramped space, writing her diary, becoming a young woman. You got to read it if you haven't read it already. Uh, after their arrest, she was taken to concentration camps. Anne and her sister died in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp before the end of the war. The only surviving member of the family was her father, Otto, who returned to Amsterdam after the war to find that his secretary had kept his daughter's diary, and he decided to publish it. The rest is history. Now, Rosemary Sullivan's the author of this new book, and she says she used computer algorithms that helped her narrow down the suspect list, and she now believes that Arnold Vandenberg was the betrayer of the Frank family. He died of throat cancer in 1950. Uh, Vandenberg, uh, she says, led police to the hiding place in exchange for protecting his own family. He was a Jewish notary. He might have known where some of the Jews were hiding. And later there's a letter to Otto, Anne's father, who says 
Vandenberg was doing things like this. Uh, of course, a lot of other scholars disagree. It's uh, Everybody's arguing about it right now, who's in that world. And it, it very well could have just been a routine raid by the Gestapo who happened upon the secret room inside the inside the, the business. So, um, anyways, might be an interesting read. Now, in the world of genetic genealogy, this is just in, hot off the presses. Literally, before I started taping this episode, it came in over the wire in my email. DNA Doe Project does it again. Press release from Coopersville, Michigan. The Ottawa County Sheriff's Office and the DNA Doe Project announced the identify identification of skeletal remains located in 1994 as belonging to Shelley Ray Christian of Minneapolis. She was reported missing by her family in 1993. Her body was found in a cornfield near Coopersville, but the connection was not made at that time. Initially, investigators believed the Jane Doe was of Hispanic heritage and had died at the hands of a possible serial killer, along with 10 other women. Her cause of death was undetermined. The DNA profile of the Jane Doe indicated North Atlantic and French-Canadian ancestry, not Hispanic. Starting with second and third cousin matches, they traced the family tree all the way back to Christians, uh, which led them to Minneapolis. Seemed like a good match to the Jane Doe. Detectives from the Ottawa County Sheriff's Department contacted relatives, had them uh, send in more DNA samples and confirm their relationship. Team leader Matthew Waterfield said this case provided, or I'm sorry, this case proved trickier to solve than initially appeared with our highest workable match sharing only 128 centimorgans with Shelley. Now you're going to want more centimorgans than that, let me tell you. However, our team was able to identify a couple born in Iowa in the 1840s as ancestors of the then unknown woman. So they worked it all the way back and then they brought, then they came back down through the family tree to find her. So congratulations, DNA Doe Project, on another successful case. I want to bring you one more weird story from Reddit this week. Sometimes weird stuff pops up on there, uh, weird crimes from around the world, uh, and I, I want to bring them to you. So this was part of Reddit's uh, 2021 roundup of best stories from the Unresolved Mysteries board. This is a post by user B1Baker. Someone... Some bastard is stealing Little Debbie snack cakes from storage facilities in the small town of Poplar Bluff, Missouri. Do you have no shame? The first attack came New Year's Day 2021 when thieves broke in and stole 20 large boxes from a storage unit. Now let's not minimize the damage here. We're talking eight cases of bag donuts, three cases of strawberry shortcake, two cases of zebra cake rolls, Three cases of Susie Q's, two cases of unicorn cakes, and two cases of birthday cakes. And another attack, a second attack, came May 22nd. Another storage unit was broken into, and again, the only things stolen were Little Debbie's. You can see photos of the crime at foodandwine.com if you wish. They're shocking. They do show the uh, culprits leaving with these boxes of Little Debbie's. They're probably teenagers, folks, but uh, obviously the Little Debbies are gone, but the impact of that crime remains. Check them out. Uh, let's check out the charts real quick. 
from Chartable, who charts the top true crime podcasts in the world. Crime Junkies back on top. Nicely done, Ashley Flowers. There's a new number nine, though. New new uh, entry into the top ten. Killer Psyche. Never heard of this, but uh, I'll check it out now. Here's the write-up. When a shocking crime occurs, people ask why. Was it about power, ego, or revenge? On Killer Psyche, retired FBI agent Candace DeLong draws on her decades of experience to reveal why these murders, murderers and criminals committed these acts. She'll reveal fascinating new details about what drove these people, including cases she was close to. Candace will share specific psychological methods and profiling techniques that experts use to understand the deepest part of the most complex, fascinating, and twisted minds, from the Unabomber to Dr. Death to El Chapo. And number 10, Murder, Mystery, and Makeup. I'll leave it at that. Uh, remember to join me on Repod after the podcast to talk about stuff and crime and things. And uh, as always, I list further reading in the notes if you want to check up on any of my sources. Uh, and that's it, folks. Another another week down. We're still alive. And it's Friday, and you know what that means. It means, in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, we got to, 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 get down, damn it. True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.